Boy, what a wonderful day we've had, and a great day with brothers and sisters, especially. We appreciate uh, Sister Cheryl Yarber for putting that on for the kids and everybody, the adults. We had a wonderful time this afternoon, and very thankful for all those who were able to show up. And especially tonight, as we look out and we see all those in, in, in the crowd and the audience, we're thankful for you. And it's so encouraging to look out and see each and every one of you. And as individuals, it really is. If you would be grabbing a Bible and opening it up to First Peter chapter one, First Peter chapter one. Have you heard here of late that there are certain truths that we held for a very long time that are now relative? You know, today it seems like there's no such thing as absolute truth anymore. You know, there are things that we thought for years might have been concrete, such as a boy being a boy and a girl being a girl, but now we're told that that is simply relative. We're told that there are a multitude of things that were thought to be truth, but that today they are relative. Now, whenever they say relative truth, that means there are times that it is true, but there are also times where it's not true. You know, today looking around, do we have anything anymore that we can truly define as truth? Now, obviously their idea of relative truth is wrong, as we will study a little bit later, but we have all of these ideas of relative truths today and these things that are not concrete these things that are not sure. Well, tonight we're going to study some things that you can be absolutely sure of. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. If you would read that with me. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 22 on down to the end there of the chapter. It says, Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you, through verse 25. Not only are there things that we can be sure of, there are things that are everlasting truths. There are things that no matter how much time goes by, no matter how long we wait down the future, no matter how late it becomes, they will always remain true. These are things that you can be absolutely sure of. And while this world, we look around and it's got all of these uncertainties, it's got all of these disappointments, it's got all of these things that you can't put your faith in, that you can't put your trust in, there are some things that you can know can be certain. There are things we know that can be sure, and we find these absolute truths in the Word of God. We can find these absolute truths in the Word of God because as we read here in 1 Peter chapter 1, the Word of God abideth forever. It endureth forever. It is something that does not fall away. It does not fail. It is something that is everlasting. And so while we have so many people today that are fickle and that want to change the truth, we see the Bible is consistent and does not change. You can be sure of it. You can be so sure of it. In fact, you can be more sure of these truths than you can be of anything else in this world. One thing I love doing is I love flying on airplanes. I love flying on airplanes. I have one of my most memorable flights, and it reminded me of an absolute truth we're told about in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 2. One day while flying an airplane, I was flying out of Denver and going to fly into the airport at Branson. Now, if you've ever flown into Branson, Branson's kind of a weird airport because it's at the top of a hill, kind of at the top of a mountain, so a lot of times there's fog all around it. Well, as we were flying and leaving out of Denver, we were flying over to Branson, and there was a terrible storm over Branson. It was absolutely horrible. And I remember there going through that storm. So you descend, and you've got all of this nice sunlight. It was in the day. And then you descend down through this terrible storm, and it's lightning, it's raining, and you go down to the runway. And then you look back up on the ground, you look back up at the sky, and you think, well, was the sun ever really there? You know, whenever the clouds come, it becomes a dreary day, but are you ever uncertain that the sun is still there? 
Are you ever uncertain that whenever the clouds go by that it will still be there? Those are things that we're sure of. You're sure that you're ready for tomorrow. And not talking about maybe with plans, but you're sure that tomorrow will come. You're sure that tomorrow will come. You're sure that the seasons will change. I'm told tomorrow we have spring, don't we? Uh, hopefully the weather will cooperate. But we know the seasons will change. We're told in Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 22, I said verse 2, verse 22, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest and cold and heat, and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. That promise, thousands of years ago, God told Noah that as long as the earth remains, there will be seasons, there will be day and night. And so just as you and I rest assured that tomorrow the sun will rise again, we can rest assured on God's promises. If you would, consider with me what some of these eternal, absolute truths are that we can rest assured are true, even in a world today of what are so-called relative truths. And tonight we're going to look at five of them specifically. Number one, we can be sure that God exists and that He is eternal. We're told in the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. One thing we can see very clearly is that while we cannot see God physically, we can see the creation of God as clear as day, literally. We can look around us and we can see the sun. We can see the moon, we can see the stars, we can see the creation of the world, and we can understand that because there is a created world here, that God must exist, that He has to exist. In Psalm 19 and verse number 1, David wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. The earth, the firmament, the heavens, in this place, talking about the sky and beyond, declare the glory of God. As we see a magnificent painting, as you see this beautiful picture, you can know that there is an artist behind such a painting. We look out, we see all of the trees beginning to bloom, or they were until this last stretch of weather. We see all of these things around us beginning to show springtime. And imagine saying out of all of the beautiful artistry that we see, there's no one behind that painted picture. There's no one behind this beautiful image that we see and we experience every single day. We know and can know that God exists. Matter of fact, even our own bodies, do they not bear witness that a very powerful and intelligent being exists to create us? We look and the more we know about the body, the more we find out, the more you study about the body, you realize just how complex it is. It is the most complex thing here on earth. We see that this thing we see in front of us could never have been a result as an accident or of evolution. We can be sure that God exists. It's not amazing that God clearly designed us to live in this world. He designed this world for us and He designed us for this world. We talk about the vacuum of space. We talk about the other planets even in our solar system that we could not inhabit, that we could not thrive in, but yet here we are. And so Moses proclaimed in Psalm 90 verses 1 and 2, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Friends, we can be sure tonight, number one, that God exists and that He is eternal. Number two, we can be sure that Jesus also exists and that Jesus is the divine Son of God. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now you might be asking there in verses 1 through 3, well, who exactly is this Word that it is speaking of? If you go and read just a few verses down in that same chapter, verse 14 tells us, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We see that Jesus is the divine Son of God. That so as God is, Jesus also is. And Jesus always will be. Jesus has always been divine. Jesus was not some created being. He was not some created prophet. Jesus is there, was there, and will always be there. Jesus is the divine Son of God. The Scripture goes on to say about Jesus in John chapter 3, verses 35 and 36, The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into His hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. We see that God made Jesus Lord. Not making Jesus, as in creating Him, he put Jesus there with the title of Lord. We know what that means. He gives everything into His hands. Whenever we read the text there in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18, when Jesus is speaking, He says, All power is given unto Me in heaven and in earth. He has all authority. He has all power. It is all given to Him. We read in John chapter 17 and verse number 2, As thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given Him. He is the power and authority. We see Jesus is the divine Son of God. Moses, going all the way back to Moses' prophecy of Jesus. Moses predicted that Jesus would come. He predicted that not only would Jesus come and be powerful, he predicted that he would be Lord over all. You read in the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, and talking about quoting Moses here. It says in Acts 3, 22 through 24, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days. That's in talking about Christ. That's in talking about the Messianic age. My friends, because Jesus is Lord and is the Son of God, the most important thing that we can do now is to listen and obey. Jesus is divine. He is the divine Son of God. In a world of relative truths that they try to pass us on with, things that are not certain, you can be sure that Jesus is the Son of God. Number three, you can be sure that God's Word is true and that it is well, is eternal. It is everlasting. Psalm 119, verse 89, proclaims, Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. That's Psalm 119, verse 89. Just as we see the eternal nature of God, God's word does not change with generations, does it? Yet how many today cry out, we need to update the Bible. We need to take certain things out. We need to change it. My friends, God's word does not change. It stays the same. It is not something that is fickle like man. Man at one point thought human life was valuable, even in our own nation. Now we slaughter millions of them in the womb every year. Which is it? We live in a world of relative truths where one thing that was moral back then might not be now or vice versa. 
We have truths being passed for lies and lies being passed for truths. And so now in the world here of relative things, what can we be sure of? We can be sure of God's Word that it is true and that it is eternal. Brendan brought out this morning in Matthew's account of chapter 4. Luke 4 also brings out that same account there of Jesus and Satan. Jesus being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And you know Jesus told the devil. Remember what his response to him was? How he fought the falsehood that Satan told him? It is written. Do you realize that what Jesus is quoting came more than a thousand years ago in Jesus' time? And yet, in all of the generations that passed, from Moses being the author of those things to the time of Christ, God's Word remained true. How many other works of literature can we find hold the same to be true today? God's Word is true And nothing can weaken its authority. It stands because God meant for it to stand. Today we have a lot of people that try to get rid of God's Word. For years and years and decades and decades, it was the purpose of nations, talking about the Soviet Union and talking about Nazi Germany, to get rid of the Bible. Do you realize that even before that, and that's recent history, even before that, Men try to get rid of the Bible. And yet, what book do we have today that stands innumerable in the world? God's Word. God's Word is held the test of time. You can deny it. You can avoid it. You can hide it. You can debate it. You can even get everybody to agree with you that it's not the truth. And you know what? At the end of the day, God's Word stands. It is still here. It is still present. It is still our guide. Today, when people clamor for where do we turn for law and authority, we turn to the Word of God. In a world of uncertainties, you can be sure of the eternal Word of God. Jesus pointed out of His promise in Matthew 24 and verse number 35, He says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but My Word shall not pass away. The promise Jesus makes there in Matthew 24, the prophecy of what was coming for them, it was certain. And just as sure as heaven and talking about earth passing away, he says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. All of these things here, my friends, we can rest assured the Bible is true and it is God's word. As we read a moment ago in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 calls the word of God the thing that liveth and abideth forever. Verse 25 says, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Not for a generation, not for a few hundred years, forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. You realize that Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse number 48, He said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. What is going to be the standard at that last day? I can promise you one thing. It's not going to be the Constitution. It's not going to be the Magna Carta. It's not going to be any other law document that mankind has ever come up with. It is going to be the Word of God. And so why would we be more worried about following man's law instead of following God's law? Because in the end, this is the standard by which we'll be judged, not by man's law. You can't ignore the Word of God forever. Many try to today. But every man will be judged by it. We can be sure 
that the word of God is true and that it is eternal. You can also be sure of another thing. Number four, you can be sure that God loves his people. We're told in Romans chapter 5 and verses 6 through 8, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet for adventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love, even though undeserved, is intentional and it is sacrificial. Do we consider what God gave up for us? You realize God is not in any way obligated to us, and yet He chose to love us and chooses to love us. As we know, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, what did He give up? For this world He gave His only begotten Son. Don't ever forget in John three sixteen of connecting that back to Romans chapter 5. In verse number 6, as we just read, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, even in that ungodly state, that He gave His only begotten Son. My friends, that is a love I cannot comprehend. Those of you who are parents, can you imagine such a fate of giving up your children? Can you imagine such a fate of even giving them up, especially for a world that would be ungrateful largely? Can you imagine such a fate? 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says of Him who His own self bear our sins and His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. The love of God. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, we're told, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The love of God is far greater than I could ever understand. And so therefore, tonight I am not giving you justice in describing it. It is undescribable to comprehend the love of God. We're told in Romans 8, verses 35 through 39 of the love of God, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Through verse 39. Can we comprehend the love of God, the love of Christ? The only thing that can separate us from the love of Christ is ourselves. We are the ones that choose to leave. The opportunity is there for all of us. The offer is there, which is why of all of these eternal absolute truths, we can know, number one, God exists, He is eternal. We can know, number two, that Jesus is the divine Son of God. We can know, number three, that God's Word is true, that it is eternal. We can know that God loves His people. And just as sure as all of those things, you know what else we can know for a certainty? We can know, number five, that Jesus is coming again. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, an absolute surety, you can be sure, Jesus is coming again. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1 and verses 10 through 11, 
And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go out, go into heaven, through verse number 11. Just as those apostles there in Acts chapter 1 look steadfastly at the ascension of Christ, they are reminded in verse number 11, why stand there gazing? In that same manner as he ascended up, so shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. You know, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is coming in a second time. And that at this second coming of Christ, one day we will meet him in the air. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 tells us, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. When Jesus comes, he will raise all the dead and will judge all mankind. Jesus made the statement in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Each one of us must one day give an account for the lives we have lived. We can be sure that Jesus is coming again. Just as we are sure that Jesus is coming again, we know that one of two things awaits us. Either Christ will come and my life here on earth will be ended, or I will die physically. The old saying goes, there's only two certain things in life, death and taxes. I've known enough people to get out of taxes to know that there is one certain thing that we cannot avoid, and that is death. We can be sure that either one of those two things will happen. That either I will die or Jesus will come again. Now which of those two things come first, I don't know. But I do know 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 10 tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. I know that at some point, it might be tonight, it might be tomorrow, that either my life will end or Jesus will come again. And I know that at some point, whether soon or in the future, those who have rejected Christ and who live ungodly, they have reason to fear His coming. They have reason to fear death. If you want to see a hopeless situation, go to the funeral of an atheist. It is a hopeless situation because that person cannot be saved. That person made the choice while in this life to choose to be ungodly. What a tragic situation for those who live ungodly lives. But you know one beautiful thing about it, those who believed in Him, obeyed Him, what a wonderful thing that the thing that so many people fear at the end of this life, we can look forward to. We can look at it with joy. We can look at it with triumph. Because we know God keeps His promises. Jesus said in John 14, 1-3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, 
there you may be also. We can put our trust in God. We can put our trust in these absolute certainties. You know why? It's not because I brought this message to you tonight. It's not because I am the preacher tonight. It is because we can find these truths in the Word of God. And that is our standard. The Word of God endures forever. I won't and you won't. Do you realize even after we're gone, what will still remain and still stand? The Word of God. Just as certain as we know these things are true, now the question is, do we act like these things are true? Let me ask you a question. Do we act like today in our lives that God exists and that He is eternal? Do we act in such a way as to glorify God? Do we act in what we speak and where we go and what we dress and who we associate ourselves with, the things in which we do? Do we act as if God exists? Do we act like Jesus is the divine Son of God? Do we act like He is the only hope? Sometimes we rely on self. Sometimes we rely on what I have to think. We realize that the only escape from damnation is the divine Son of God and His sacrifice. If I truly believe that, what would my life look like? Would I reflect that? And do I reflect that? Do I act like God's Word is true and it's eternal? In all of the documents today that we can read and that we can study, do you realize in all of the religious books in the world, there is only one divine Word of God? Only one? Do we act like it and study it? If there is only one divine Word of God, don't you think it's in my best interest to know what it says? To study it and find out what exactly I should do. If the all-powerful Creator left this for us, isn't it in my best interest to know what it says? Do I act like this Word is true? Do I live in such a way as if it is true? Do I act as if God loves His people? What have I done with the love of God? Imagine such a love, my friends, to be able to give up your only begotten Son for a world that would crucify Him. Imagine such a love and then imagine us doing away with that love by living whatever life in the world we wanted to. What a sad reflection if that is us. Do we act like Jesus is coming again? What are you doing tomorrow? I don't know what exactly all of you are doing tomorrow, but I'm sure you're planning on doing something tomorrow. I'm sure you're planning on going home tonight. And just as a certainty that we'll go home this evening, and just as the certainty that whenever we get home, Lord willing, safely, we wake up tomorrow, let's say, we expect the sun to rise again. Do we expect Jesus to return just as we expect the sun to rise again? Not knowing when, but ready always. As that thief in the night, we don't know when, but we know it will happen. I know one of two things will happen. And that's either my life here on earth will end, or Jesus will come again. What would my life look like if I actually believed with all my being, Jesus is coming again? If I believe that, will it reflect the lifestyle that I'm living now? Am I living in such a way as being prepared? Or am I living in such a way as to be caught off guard? I'll tell you what, if I told you there's a thief coming and he's coming to your house, what are you going to do? You're going to get ready. We know 
as a certainty. Jesus is coming again. We know that's the case. Are we ready? Every one of us, my friends, 2 Corinthians 5.10, every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Since I know not any of us are getting out of life alive, are we ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Are we ready for that? So in a world of relative truths and alternative truths, we can rest assured today knowing that truth is still true. That truth is still authoritative regardless of what people think or what people say. Today, you can try to hide the truth. You can try to ignore it, deny it, rationalize it away, forget it, hate it, argue against it, but the truth remains firm. It remains untouched. It stands the test of time. It stands true because God spoke it to be. The Bible urges us, Turn with me to Proverbs 23 and verse 23. And if you're one that underlines in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline this. Proverbs 23, verse 23 tells us, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Do not settle for anything less than the truth. Do not be deceived by a half-truth or a counterfeit those things are lies. The thing about counterfeits are is that they look mostly true. They might sound mostly true, but they are false. There are many today which preach half-truths that do not include the entire Word of God to try to appease the modern world in which we live in today. Our obligation today and forever is to preach the whole counsel of God. It is to preach the whole entire truth. God gave us the truth. We have the Bible. But what do we have to do? Buy the truth and sell it not. Of all the things that you can accumulate here in this life, the one most important thing is buying the truth and selling it not. We have to use it to judge between what is from God and what is from not. How do you know if something is true or if it's not? We have our standard. Now, do we know enough of the Word to be able to tell? We have to search out what is true. We have to search out what is right. Even in a world of relative truths, alternative truths, which are all just really lies, we can be sure of the Word of God. Tonight we have five eternal absolute truths we can be sure of. Now the question is, do I live my life in such a way as if to reflect I truly believe these things? Tonight, before you leave, consider... If tonight is my last night, whether in death or the Lord returning, am I ready? Am I ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the life that I lived? Am I ready? Because I don't know when that time will be, but I know it's coming. Have I told my loved ones about the gospel? Have I told my neighbor about the gospel? I told those around me and whom I dearly love and even those I don't know that I come across about the gospel. Because if this situation is this dire, and it is, we have to tell the world. Tonight the question may be, are you ready? If you're not ready, that means that you're standing outside of the gospel. Outside of the gospel is a terrible place. Ephesians chapter 2, as we read in verses 12 and 13 about the hopelessness that resides Outside of Christ. A state that is outside of hope. A state that is without God. A state that is not a citizen of the kingdom. 
is a state in which none of us want to find ourselves in? Or are you in Christ? Have you obeyed the gospel of Christ? Have we believed that Jesus is the divine Son of God? Have we made our lives in such a way as to repent and turning away from sin and turning toward God? Have we confessed that He is Lord? Have we been baptized into Christ? The only way in, Galatians 3, 27, Romans 6, 3 and 4, the only way in, being baptized into Christ. In Christ we have all spiritual blessings. In Christ we have salvation. In Christ we have eternal life. Outside of Him we have darkness without hope, without light, without God. Or tonight perhaps you're one that was a Christian and has fallen away. What an opportunity to be here, to still be breathing and alive, to make the chance tonight to come back to the truth, to come back to the Word of God, to come back to the standard. Tonight I ask us all as individuals, ask yourself, am I ready? Just as sure as we know all of those things are true, we can know Jesus is coming again. Am I ready to stand before Him in judgment? If I am not, take the opportunity we have while we're still here, while we can, to make things right. This evening, the invitation is offered. If you're one who is standing outside of Christ, never having been baptized into Him, never having obeyed the gospel, I encourage you and implore you this evening to take a good long look at your life and look at it in comparison to eternity. Am I ready? Tonight, if you're a Christian and you've fallen away, you've fallen short, you've fallen back into the world, we cannot have a relationship with the world and still be in Christ, obedient to Him. What have I chosen this evening? Have I chosen the world or have I chosen God? We can be sure that one day Jesus is coming again. Am I ready for that day? If we can help anyone this evening in any way, come forward now as together we stand and as we sing this song of encouragement.